You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm really excited to have a chance to chat with my guest today, Audrey Shane. She is an LMFT in Northern California and a business coach for therapists. She's on a mission to end therapist self-sacrifice and burnout by empowering others to create sustainable, balanced, and profitable private practices. She's also a twin mom, a law enforcement officer wife, powerlifting yogi, swing dancer, and constantly curious, avid learner. Audrey, welcome to the show. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. We were chatting a little bit before we hit record and we've been in each other's orbits and like casually connected over the past year since the first Therabundle. And now it's like, like we were saying, just mom life has made it hard to to truly (laughs) connect. So it's nice to have a chance to just actually connect here on the show today. You know, I feel like when you're a mom, the stars have to align so perfectly to like connect with other people. And then you have to have the energy to to make that connection too. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I always start off by asking guests a little bit about their background and kind of how you got to where you are. I know you're kind of in two different places of having the business of supporting therapists, but I would love to know on the therapy side, how did you get into this work and what kind of drew you to therapy? Oh, that's such a funny question. Um, So I was an art everything growing up. I thought I was going to be an artist and I studied art early in college. And then um, I started looking at like the different classes that I would have to take to get that and the kind of work that I would be able to do. And I was like, I don't, I don't actually want to do that most of the time. This is like, I don't want to have to be creative in this way on demand. Yeah. Um, And so I said, I I think I told my mom one day and she doesn't remember this conversation, um, but I said, I think I might want to be a therapist. And she was like, why would you want to listen to people's problems all day? That sounds awful. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I'll do interior design. <laughs> Couldn't combine the two. <laughs> you know, I know. So I studied that for another year or so. And then I transferred to state and I was taking site classes because the major was impacted. And I was like, no, I really, really like this. I actually really yeah. like this. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So I switched majors, finished that out, went to grad school and um, in grad school, We had practicum in-house where people actually came to campus and we saw them on campus. It was really cool, like the public. And I remember getting ready to see my very first client ever. And I remember the moment leading up to it, I was so anxious, so nervous, like all of us so are. are. And I did the spiel about informed consent. And then I, I said something like, so what brings you? And I remember this, like, it was almost a spiritual moment in the sense that this like calm washed over me. Hmm. And I had this feeling of like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like, wow. this is what I'm meant to do. Um, and it's it's like, I can still feel that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's how I found my way into being a therapist. And 
there's been a lot of bumps along the road. I actually left the field for like a year after my oh. first divorce and thought, well, maybe I'll go into fitness coaching. And, and I found it very therapy-like. Um, yeah. And then I found my way back into therapy, partly because at the time when I graduated grad school, there was an economic depression yeah. and jobs were really, really hard to find. This was in 2010. Um, paid jobs were really hard to find. So I ended up volunteering and I was doing side jobs and trying to just piece my income together. Um, And I got really burned out on trying to just get there. Um, And it was actually because of my current husband that I was able to finish my hours because he he helped support me through another volunteer position that did eventually come and become a paid position. But I mean, I topped out at like 25 bucks an hour license. Right, right. Which once I had twins, like, I literally would be paying all of the money I brought home to childcare. And then some. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Basically. So I would be like net negative in income yeah. to work a bunch and not be with my kids and like not sleep and not like all this stuff. Sure. So that didn't work out and that propelled me into private practice, which I knew I'd always end up there. Yeah. Um, so that's how I ended up in private practice. And I ended up with a fully online private practice starting in 2016 because I liked it. This was before I had the kids. And then I yeah. kept it online because having twins and unpredictable, my yeah. husband's schedule is unpredictable. And, you know, I was like, no, this is, I can be flexible, more flexible working from home. Right. Um, so I ended up in that space. Um, and then kind of getting into the coaching, what happened was I was doing really well in my private practice. And I saw a lot of my colleagues, friends that had gone into private practice or were like dabbling in private practice and really struggling. And they kept asking me like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why is it working? And I would give them some advice and I would share what I was doing and then they would implement stuff and then they would do better. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is fun. I really liked doing this. So that's kind of how I got it started in coaching. And then at some point I decided, you know, what, I'm going to like formalize this. I'm going to make this official. Yeah. And I started balanced private practice. Yeah. Well, and I, I love that the coaching part like came out of what you learned yourself, right? Yes. Where you're like, I had to figure out how to make a practice work for me so that I'm not just literally taking money from clients and handing it to the daycare or the babysitter, right? Mm -hmm. That I had to build a practice that worked for me, worked for my family, worked for all the different needs that we have. And that, yeah, like other people can have the exact same thing too. Oh yeah. And I mean, it was a lot of learning um, between, you know, I did a private practice internship. So I learned a bunch there. My first husband was really into like tech and marketing and websites. So I learned a lot about entrepreneurship from him. Um, And then I created my practice in a certain way, but then I recognized, and this was, this is a pivotal piece of why things are working the way they're working now. Um, I recognized that my private practice, the way I had it set up, I set it up in the way that most people do with sliding scale and, Mm -hmm. and variable schedules and all this stuff that it was being supported. I actually like to say subsidized Mm. by my my mom and the grandma's doing free childcare. It was being subsidized by my husband working two jobs and yeah. literally killing himself. Like he was on his way to a heart attack or a stroke or something. Cause he was killing yeah. himself. Um, and like underpaying for a babysitter, like everybody else in my system was subsidizing me being able to have this like hobby practice. Yeah. Um, and then I had, I had this awakening moment where I was like, 
oh my gosh, this is not a sustainable business model. Like if I didn't have these other people subsidizing this, this wouldn't work. Yeah. So I had to like completely restructure my practice, increase my fees, change my policies, tighten my schedule. Um, and that's when I realized like, and it worked. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, this can be done. It can be done sure. this way. What was that like for you to... I mean, I, I think that's such an interesting way of describing it of like, yeah, you are subsidizing all of that, that your work, right. By everybody else subsidizing their time and their money, mm -hmm. their, their health. Mm -hmm. What, like, what was that internal kind of, I don't know if narrative or if there was a struggle of this is what I need to do, right? Like, I know that what I'm doing is not sustainable. I need to do this other thing. How did you reconcile that? Because I know like I've experienced that at times and I know for a lot of listeners, we can see what we need to do, but there's fear or there's like other voices telling us we can't mm -hmm. take those steps. So what was that like for you working through that or, or reconciling that what you're currently doing isn't working and I only have to do this other thing? Yeah. Um, one of them was like uh, there's a statistic it's um the police officer's age of first heart attack i think the average age is 47. wow and my husband at the time was you know we were coming up on 40 and i thought that's like 10 years from now yeah and what i'm doing it was like a gut punch i was like i am i am making him closer to that possible that reality yeah and um i think it be it became less about what i like what i wanted or believed and more about like i have to save my husband's life mm -hmm. um and because of the changes i increased um i increased all of my clients fees and that was a that was a journey man yeah i definitely i got some coaching help around that which which definitely helped um and i confronted a lot of fears but i had to do it scared and yeah. I had to recognize that like that the only way out is through kind of, you know, that sure. cliche statement, but like I had to go through my own fear to save my husband's life. Um, yeah. And because I did that, he, he was actually able to leave the reserves. He was in the reserves at the time and he was able to leave the reserves. Yeah. Which yeah. was probably huge for both him and you and massive. the kids too. Oh yeah. It was massive. Yeah. So it's, it was, I think that piece of is like, be okay doing it scared. I think a lot of, a lot of people don't do things because they're worried or scared. And I'm, a, I mean, I get risk tolerance. I understand assessing risk and sure. making smart decisions. Cause I think there's strategic ways to do these things Right. where it reduces risk, but you're still going to be scared and yeah. you kind of have to do what's scared. No, and I think that's such a good point. I mean, I see this with people who are like taking the leap to start private practice or like even like you said, you were in practice, but now I've got to shift and change because my family needs have changed. And that, yeah, there's, I don't know if it's unique to our profession, but I feel like I see it <laughs> so much in our profession that like, we are so fearful. <laughs> we are so anxious about so many things when it comes to like our businesses, but doing it scared doesn't mean that it's bad, right? right. It's just a thing. <laughs> and I agree. It's not unique to our profession. But I think what's unique about our profession in this arena is the cultural conditioning of self-sacrifice that mm. we are given from like, well, one is predominantly women, right? Yeah. So women tend to self-sacrifice in general. And yep. then 
Um, we, as therapists are taught that, you know, we're doing this for the client. This is about the client. This is about helping people and we want to help people. And, um, and then we get these like covert shaming statements that happen from our colleagues or from Facebook groups about, well, I value accessibility. Well, how could you not take insurance? People are entitled to use their insurance. So there's all of these messages that we're bombarded with that like, keep us in this framework of, I guess I have to do it this way because Mm -hmm. I'm a bad person or a bad therapist or like, I'm not supposed to work, you know, whatever it is. And like, that's not real. Yeah. It's just not real. Well, and I think too, like, it's not like our education teaches us either of doing something outside the box, because again, we're taught so much. You have to stick by your ethics and like, here's the values of the profession. And not that I am endorsing anybody like doing anything unethical <laughs> in their practice by any means, but we take it to an extreme then. And then when you come out of like community mental health systems, which so many of us start in, cause that's where you get your hours. That's where mm-hmm. you, you know, like you said, the only places that are hiring, that's the model we have. And that's what we've been taught. We don't know anything different. And so you're like, I guess this is it because mm-hmm. I'm, again, there's all these other messages then from the Facebook groups or from other colleagues or even professors that you're like consulting with. And it puts the fear of in you that, okay, I guess there's only one way to make this work. Yeah. And I think what happens is we, we take, people take the ethical guidelines and they interpret them a certain way. And then they interpret them to us yeah. about that for like one of my favorite examples this is this um the uh, ethical guideline of doing some sort of give back using your professional uh you know knowledge mm-hmm. we all take that as a mandate to provide reduced fees or sliding scales mm-hmm. like we somehow have turned that into a mandate yeah the ethical guideline just says that it is recommended to do something purposeful and bigger and giving back like that could be advocacy that could be instagram posts that could be a whole host of things right that is not reducing your fees or sliding your scale yeah Uh, we are not mandated to do that and so i think we need to kind of take a step back and say like okay what is the ethical guideline actually saying and how might i fulfill that guideline should i choose to because it's just a recommendation because seasons of life right I am not in a season of life right now to do extracurriculars. My son right. just got diagnosed with autism and ADHD. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We're figuring that out. <laughs> right. Which is all the more reason why you have to have a practice that you're not closing shop at the end of the day, completely drained and exhausted from, but that you still have energy and life because there's a lot of other needs that your household has. Right. And Absolutely. so if that means having a certain fee or taking a certain insurance or not taking a certain insurance, like you have to make that choice for you because it ha- if the business doesn't work for your family, it's not going to work for your clients either, really, because they're not going to get the, be- the best, you know, therapist nobody, with them. Nobody gets the best of you, right? When, yeah. when your business is draining you, your clients don't get the best of you. Your kids don't get the best of you. You don't get the best of you. Your spouse, like nobody gets the best of you when your business doesn't support your well-being. And your business has to support your well-being first and in order to do that we have to look at money and that is something a lot of people don't like to touch they don't like to think about it look at it be involved in it talk about it nothing none of that 
We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug and send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. I'm curious if you have seen this at all, because, you know, obviously this podcast is for women, um, whether you're a mom or not, it's for women and our profession is predominantly women, but I feel like I see, especially around fee setting, Mm -hmm. Like a lot of women, it it is, am I allowed to do this? Or I feel bad charging that no-show fee or I, um, you know, I can't, you know, I feel it's struggling to have this conversation about increasing my fees. And I don't see men posting those com- those questions <laughs> in like some of the Facebook groups. And and I know they're there. And they're so there. I'm just wondering, like, do you, do you see that as well in your work of coaching people around this where I just, again, some of this is cultural conditioning. Like what, mm-hmm. what are we taught? Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about politics and don't talk about money. Right. right? And right. you have to be self-sacrificing. You have to be giving back. And that's not just coming from the profession. That's coming yeah. from home and society since we were little girls. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, do, do you see that come up with our male colleagues in this profession? Some. So I do. I, I, I've coached both men and women in the profession. Um, and my, my women identifying clients tend to be more more fearful, guilt-ridden, shame-ridden mm-hmm. around money than my male identifying clients. Um, that said, the, the men also struggle with this depending on their conditioning and depending on other internal factors, mm-hmm. but less so and less frequently and typically at higher rates. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, so the disproportion of the rates they're even coming in at is different. And, you know, I might for just for example's sake, I might have a, a female uh, therapist struggling to charge a hundred, but my male therapist is struggling to charge 200. They're struggling yeah. in similar ways, but the, there's a huge gap between yeah. what number they start at even. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and I, and I have to think that I mean, I think that's such an interesting example. Like we're taught to undervalue ourselves like as women and make ourselves smaller so much. Mm -hmm. Like that's been like the cultural message. Um, And that's probably like what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to help us like break from that, that kind of stuff. Because again, where both of those therapists have the same issue, I need to be charging more why is one starting like that much more at like, that's where they're setting their fee than the other one other than gender? You know, yeah. why is that? Why is there such a discrepancy there? Like, what are those internal messages that we're all carrying around saying we can't do that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it blows my mind and it varies a little bit for everybody, but you know, the, the question that you mentioned earlier is am I allowed to? 
Yeah. There's an interesting, that is such an interesting question to me. Am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to increase my fees more than $20? Am I allowed to like, and, and for me, look, thinking about it from a business perspective, it's like, well, it's your business, right? Yes. You're allowed to like, unless you're doing something grossly, like definitely blatantly illegal, which right. increasing your fees, any amount isn't illegal or doing something clearly unethical, like, yes, you're allowed to. The question isn't, can I? The question yeah. is, how do I do this in a way that feels good and aligned? And how do I work through my own stuff so that my stuff isn't getting in the way of doing what I need to do? Right, right. Well, and I think, because again, I see a lot of that permission asking amongst mm -hmm. our colleagues. And I mean, I've fallen into it, I'm sure at times too, but I, I brought this up on a, an episode I recorded a few weeks ago about when we're asking like this permission or we're taking in other people's perspectives of asking, are they coming at us from a place of ethics or their values? Because we get those so intertwined and misaligned mm -hmm. that like we, people are coming at us saying, oh, well, this is an ethical thing, right? Like you have to accept insurance in your practice, or you have to accept this type of insurance. And it's not really an ethical thing. It's a, more of a values-based thing yeah. and that we have to be able to separate out, okay, that is that person's value. That's not the ethical mandate of our profession. And again, I think that's where we get into that like permission asking because we're so fearful of stepping outside of those ethical boundaries. Yeah. And I think it's actually even bigger than that, that like, it's not just that, that person's value system, right? In order to be truly aligned in your value system, you have to be absent of the fear. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, so finding alignment is finding it just like outside of the fear. And it's not that the fear is gone. It's that you recognize the difference between fear and alignment. And when we are operating from a place of fear, I take insurance because I, because I'm afraid that I can't make it private pay, or I'm sure. scared to be seen as greedy because I am only private pay, then I'm not doing it out of alignment. I'm doing it to abate my fear. Yeah. When you can step outside of the fear and say, if I wasn't afraid, would I still do this? And if the answer is yes, then you are in alignment. Yeah. But if the answer is, no, I'd actually rather be private pay, I'm just terrified, then you're not in alignment. Yeah. And so in, in order to actually be in alignment with our value system in our private practice, we have to address the fears that we're coming at it from. And we also have to recognize that other people may be responding to us from a place of fear and not from a place of value systems in alignment either. Yeah. We can't know that necessarily. Right, right. We can know that that's possible and that we don't need their permission to be in our own alignment. Right. Well, and that again, like it may be their own fear <laughs> is the mm -hmm. thing telling us that we can't do our, what we're wanting to do or what we're needing to do. Right. Yes. Like if, again, I always come back to, if you don't have a practice that fits your personal and your family needs, then again, like it's no different than working for somebody else. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. What have you found? Like, is there a common theme or money story or internal narrative that you find when therapists are looking about increasing their fee? Because I know mm -hmm. that's one of the things that you do some coaching around. I think you even have um, a course that's going to be coming mm -hmm. out uh, about that. Are there certain things that you that you find similar amongst 
um, therapist when it comes to a desire to do that and then trying to find a way to implement that. Yeah. So what I find is that there are a lot of, it comes back like, am I allowed to questions or Mm. how do, how am I supposed to do that? Like the supposed to's and the, am I allowed to's and what's the right way or what's the right amount or, you know, that kind of thing. And so I find that a lot of people get stuck in the, like doing it right. Um, Mm. And then they get, and then the second place they get stuck is I don't want to have to talk about money. That's uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, there's so many different ways to go about increasing your fees that can be aligned for you and your practice and your needs. And mm-hmm. I think we tend to get stuck in like, well, I have to increase this much on this date for all my clients and I have to do it this right way. And it's like, no, there's actually lots, there's a ton of different ways to increase fees in a way that is fair and equitable Yeah. to all of your clients that meets your practice needs. But in order to do that, you have to actually know what you need first. And people don't even want to look at their own financial needs because again, money is uncomfortable. I don't have to think about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then what they end up doing is they roll out like a $10 increase and they still aren't where they need to be. Yeah. And they feel like, well, I can't increase for another year because that's what my contract says. That's what my policies say. So now I'm stuck here. Now what do I do? Right? Sure. So we kind of bind ourselves by trying to do it the right way like everybody else. And instead, what we need to be doing is taking a big step back and really assessing, like, where am I in my practice? Yeah. What do I actually need? What does my family need? And how do I set this up in a way that it's flexible to adapt to things that I don't know? Sure. I didn't didn't know my son was going to have autism. Right. Right. Or be autistic. And so I have a practice that can adapt to these sudden changes or, you know, things that change in our life Sure. because I have my policy set up a certain way, I have my fees set up a certain way. Um, and it helps to look outside the box to be able to do that. Yeah. And the other half of that is we have to get really comfortable looking at our own money. Yeah. So that we can get comfortable working with money with our clients. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I'm curious, and I can't remember if we started talking about this before we hit record, um, <laughs> but about like, for someone to increase their fees and to be comfortable with that, there is a level of confidence, I think, mm-hmm. that probably has to come with that. And I wonder how that corresponds with confidence in knowing like the value you provide in your work mm-hmm. or what you have to offer and being confident in that, like, again, this is who I am. This is the practice that I've built, how that combines with like the ability to increase those fees. Yeah. Um, I, I've, this is more recent, but I've come to really think about this concept of, of divorcing the number from value. Mm. Um, we somehow have gotten into this value system where the number I charge, the actual number of money dollars that I charge must be directly related to my value, my, my license, my certifications, my relative standing, how long I've been in the practice and what other people are charging. Yeah. And it's this comparative analysis. And while there is some value in understanding that information, I don't think that we need to be bound to that because there are a lot of reasons people charge what they charge fear being one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I am not, bound by generations of therapists undercharging for their services. I'm not bound to that. 
uh, and someone has to go first. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I'll go first. Um, but if we can divorce value from number and say that I am valuable, no matter what, I'm, yeah. I'm valuable and I do great work when I work with great clients and I will change people's lives when I work with ideal clients. Yeah. And here's my life and here are my finances and here's what I need to charge in order to be well and provide great service. Yeah. That picture is going to look different for everyone. And can we just let that be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's almost, it's not a confidence in like the value you provide, but it's just the confidence in who you are and the confidence in that, like, I have something to offer, whether it is a specialty or not, or whether again, Mm -hmm. I've been in practice five years or 20, but Mm -hmm. it's that I know that like, I'm confident in who I am and that clients will want to work with me regardless of the fee that I'm setting. Exactly. Right. And, and with that, I think comes a deep knowledge that like, I do great work with ideal clients. And part of that is that they can afford my fee that I need in order to be well. And that somebody else will do great work with similar clients charging a different fee. Yeah. And they will do well because that is the fee they need to be well. And, and that I only need in my, like in my practice, I need eight people each week from the entire state of California to show up and pay me my fee. Yeah. It's eight. Yeah. That is not that many people. Right. 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 In the whole state of California. In the whole state of California. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that speaks to like, again, scarcity mindset that so Mm -hmm. many of us struggle with, right. Where if we're not getting clients, right. I need to expand my license to other States or I need to, you know, offer something else, but that no, like, can we look at how, how we can get you, more client or less clients, but make more money. And it doesn't have to be like, now you're paying five different license fees because mm-hmm. you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. Exactly. Right. Oh, and don't get me started on the tax mess that that can become. Yes. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, God. I always tell people, cause I do hold multiple state licenses, not mm-hmm. by choice, but because we're a military family and I'm like, right. Don't do it. <laughs> like this, do I have it. collected licenses not by choice. This is not the model for how to how to build your practice. Don't don't just go adding licenses just for the fun of it. It's not exactly it. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Coming back to the confidence in like increasing your fee, I think for me that came back to my why. Like, why mm-hmm. do I need to increase this fee? My first increase up to 200, my why was to save my husband's life. And so when I told my clients, I am increasing all of my clients' fees to 200, here's how it's gonna go. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, is that okay? It's here's how it's gonna go. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Um, what are we gonna do with that? Are you staying, are you going? Like, what can I help you with? How can I help you sure. with whatever that transition looks like, staying or going? Um, I was very rooted in why that was important. Yeah. And like saving my husband's life had like that made the money conversations easy. Yeah. It's yeah. easy. Like it's still, it's still difficult. It's still uncomfortable, sure. but it sure. made it easy because it was necessary. And I had a really strong why. When I increased my fees to 350, I also had a really strong why. And I had to sit before I increased them. I sat with why am I doing this? Now, I didn't increase my current clients to that fee, mm-hmm. but I brought in new clients at that fee. And so when someone said, that's a very high fee, I would say, yes, that is what I need for my practice. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to provide you referrals, you know, sure. to somebody else. If that's what you sure. need, if you need to pay less. 
I know why I'm doing that. And so I felt comfortable with that, that number and confident in that number because I was deeply rooted in why that number made sense for my practice. So when you did make that increase to 200, how was that received by your clients? Because I know that's one of the things mm-hmm. a lot of times that holds people back from doing that is I don't want to have that awkward conversation. And like, what are my clients going to think? Oh, it was so cool. Um, I <laughs> say cool. So I, on the, on the, on the not so fun end of the spectrum, I had a client that, you know, pretty much shut down. I expected it because I knew where they were financially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I understood this, this client's kind of personality. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, she shut down. She said, well, I guess we're done. And I said, I'm happy to provide you referrals. And she said, no, thank you. And within 15 minutes, the conversation was over. And of course I didn't charge her for that session or anything like that. Um, And I I was giving 60 days notice. So Mm -hmm. if if people wanted to continue until the notice, until that was up, then they had that option. Um, I had a couple of clients that were like, that's outside of my ability to pay, but thank you so Mm -hmm. much. And and I think you're doing great. That's great. I'm I'm happy for you. Please send me some referrals. And so we we met a few more times, wrapped up our work and I sent them on their way. Um, And then the majority of the rest of my clients, like, they were incredibly supportive, first of all. Yeah. Um, and we're talking people that increased anywhere from $25 to $110. So doubling their fee. Yeah. Um, and for those I gave longer, I did a scale up plan. I gave longer notice and all that stuff. But, um, like the, the conversations were largely positive. Um, but I also used these as a springboard to discuss money like Mm. in the client's life money is one of the top stressors for people it's a reported top stressor it is a top reason for divorce it is a top reason for conflict it is stressful yeah and it is also one of the least discussed topics in therapy and there is a problem like that's a problem yeah yeah um and so i use this as like an opening to be like hey can we talk about your relationship with money yeah how about, can we talk about the way that money shows up in therapy? Like for certain clients, like that was really relevant to them. Yeah. And it actually opened up a lot of conversation about our relationship and the process stuff and like the the transference that we had and their, the way that they valued the time and the space and, and how they valued other services in their life and the way that mm. they were bargain hunting in different ways yeah. or undervaluing other people or you know, while also spending a bunch of money over here or over there that was unnecessary. So we were able to actually talk about like how money relates to the clinical issues that they were bringing to therapy and how they were reenacting their own relationship dynamics with money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting as you say that, because I feel like we, as the provider, a lot of times assume like the money story of, uh, of our clients, or we, you know, create some narrative of like, oh, well, they can't pay X, Y, Z when again, they're paying for this other thing over here and like not batting an eye that they're mm-hmm. like not getting a sliding scale, but we're so quick to, you know, in the same breath of this is my fee, but I do offer a sliding scale, right? Yeah. Like just like <laughs> the same thing at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, like we assume, you know, well, it's not going to be received well, or they can't afford this. Um, and I've had similar conversations with increasing my fee and yeah, the level of 
good for you and okay. Like it is comforting and reassuring. Like when you have that conversation, because again, I think about, you know, I never go to like, get my hair done and be like, do you have a, do you have a sliding scale? Like, can you, you know, not do half of half of it? Like, can you, you know, charge, you know, not as much or, um, you know, um, a lot of, you know, chiropractors or acupuncturists, which, you know, a lot of times don't take insurance. You don't hear people talking about sliding scale with those kind of providers nearly as much. Yeah. Very, very rarely. And we, automatically just kind of take that on as like, well, we have to do it. And I think we don't give our clients time sometimes to sit with what the fee is. I think back to when I first started and I, and it would be that conversation on the phone, the consultation, here's my fee, but I can do, but I I can can also do this. I did it all the time, all the time, all the time. And I look back and like, what what the hell was I doing? Right. Like, and I know that these are people that could afford it, right? Mm-hmm. But I was so scared of that pause and what were yeah. they going to say after? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's almost like a savior-ish uh, mm-hmm. thing there where we're like, I'm saving them from um, not being able to afford this or from be- having a financial burden. And it's like, all right, well, I'm, I might do that. And then 10, you know, three or four weeks into treatment, they're talking about, oh, I can't wait for our Disney vacation. Yeah. We do it every year. And it's like, oh, right. right. Oh, so you just told me that you can afford, you can only afford a hundred a session, even when my fee is 150, Yeah, but you do a Disney vacation every year. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. We're assuming where, where the client should be putting the value by or even like short yeah or or even assuming what they can or can't afford like i've i've heard clinicians i've coached have been like well i know this client can't afford it because they've said this this and that about money and i was like yeah but like is that because they actually have financial problems or is that mm-hmm. because they have a financial relationship issue mm, yeah. like are they money fearful and phobic or do they actually don't have the money because those are two sure. very different things right and people don't like to deal with their money. And so like barring there being actual, not, not, not enough dollars mm-hmm. most of the time, it's because they don't actually know their money or have a good relationship yeah. with their money that they aren't able to quote afford it. Sure. It's more fear than it is actual numbers. Sure. And do you find like in your work with coaching therapists around like their fees, like part of the work is just our own money story of working through our own understanding and relationship with it before we can even bring that into that conversation with our clients. Most of the work is that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the work is our own money stories. Yeah. 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 So I know you have, um, I think two courses. One mm-hmm. is about, um, uh, increasing our fee at coming out the end of November. Can you share a little bit about, um, those with listeners and where yeah. they can maybe check those out in the future? Absolutely. So uh, I have fee increase framework and client conversion code. I'm pretty proud of those names. Uh, (laughs) But um, so fee increase framework is going to be all about designing and implementing your fee increases. Um, And again, it's top to bottom, ins and outs, policies, strategies, implementation. Um, One of my group members in uh, in my Facebook group um, said they want to know how to squeeze the clinical juice out of fee increases. And so I love that phrase. So (laughs) there's 
all about that as well. Um, and so I want it to be like a, a top to bottom solution for fee increases now and in the future. So this will serve you at every stage of your practice, anytime you need to do a fee increase and really give you a lot of different strategies and approaches to doing it and the implementation tools and the way to, to bring clinical into it. Um, and then the client conversion code, that is, um, I, I know a lot of people are concerned about just the client consultation. Um, and so that's a big piece of this course is the client consultation and really nailing that consultation in a way that gets your full fee, um, where you can talk about yourself confidently and, and really book your ideal clients. Yeah. Um, but it's going to also address the different points of conversion. Like when a client lands on your website, what are the, right. what are the pieces of information that you need to make sure to have that converts that visitor into an inquiry? Then how do you convert your inquiry into consult? How do you make yeah. the consult a client? And then how do you get that client in your intake? And what do you say to them to make the next piece of work smooth so that if they no show or if they late cancel, it's not weird or awkward to be like, sure. I'm charging you. Right, uh, right. And so that, that course is designed to really smooth out the client journey and help you convert at each step and then and then um, have better retention as well. Which I think is so valuable because it, it's not from that first time we're on the phone with them, but it's mm -hmm. exactly like you said, it's from that first time they click on your name on Google or, or like your, you know, psychology today profile yep. and they're reading like what makes the next step happen. So yeah, exactly. there's like multiple points along that conversion. Where can people either like sign up to learn more about those mm -hmm. or be checking to see when those come out? Yeah. So the, the best place is my website balanced with a D balanced private practice.com. Um, sign up for the newsletter because I'm going to be doing, um, a newsletter only presale for those. Okay. Um, and that'll be the best price that anyone will get. Um, and I like to think that my newsletter is pretty awesome and I only <laughs> like to send stuff that I think is useful. And so, um, check it out and then, um, so sign up for the newsletter for sure. Um, and then in my, my free uh, Facebook group, Balanced Practice Community for Therapists and Counselors, that's a fabulous place to hear about what's going on, have great conversations, hear more about what I talk about. I go live. I have a bunch of live, you know, um, formerly live videos um, saved up there. That's great, great help for this kind of stuff. So that's another great place to find out about that. And we'll definitely have links to the Facebook group and to your website and everything in the show notes. And then I know one last thing, you have also a freebie um, mm -hmm. that people can download too. Can you share with listeners a little bit about what that is and where they can find that? Yeah. So um, my crafting a balanced schedule, it's the very first thing I made to give people. And it's literally like my foundational freebie. And it's yeah. I think it's still my best one, um, but it is the exact scheduling process that I have been using for over a decade to craft my ideal balance schedule and to adapt it at each phase of life. So anytime mm -hmm. something changes in my world, I go back to this method and I read you my schedule and I come back into alignment and I take care of myself first. And I make sure that things are working in a way that keeps me as balanced as possible, that prioritizes self-care that um, builds in a buffer all of that um and it's totally free <laughs> yeah um and when you sign up you don't enter some long sales funnel i'm not like gonna try and sell you something at the end of it i just literally want you to to enjoy it and use it and and get benefit from it because it is literally the foundation of having a balanced um life and practice yeah and that will yeah. also be um linked in the show notes for listeners to grab fabulous Andre 
it has been so great talking with you and just uh, exploring this really important issue that I think, again, so many of us struggle with, but, but we don't like to talk about because again, we're not supposed to talk about money, (laughs) but, um, but I love, I love having these kinds of conversations and just being able to like, put it out on the table and be real Mm -hmm. with, with these struggles that we all have had, and we all continue to, to go through. So thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And well, I'm sure this will not be the last time that we hear from Audrey. I'm sure you, we will probably have you back on because this was such a great conversation. I would love that. Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.